0: This is a podcast by The Business Times.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul and I'm a senior correspondent at The Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in The Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. We are in the month of June 2022, and markets everywhere have been struggling in the face of inflation and rising interest rates. But one local stock that popped recently was TTJ Holdings, a small structural steel company that received a voluntary cash offer from its controlling shareholder. As is usually the case with these sorts of deals, TTJ's share price immediately shot up by more than 36%, to a level equivalent to the offer price. Now, you would think that would be a cause for celebration, but many investors are upset about the offer price not being high enough, and some have complained that the company's major shareholder is using a loophole that will allow him to take the company private more easily. In this podcast, I'll discuss the offer for TTJ that is now on the table, as well as similar offers done in the past. I'll examine the loophole that offerers often use in such deals and what's being done to address the problem, And I'll offer my views on what investors should do when faced with lowball offers such as the one that's been made for TTJ. Let me begin by explaining the offer for TTJ. A couple of weeks ago, on the 20th of May, shareholders of TTJ were informed that the company's executive chairman, a gentleman named Teo Hokchui, is offering to buy all the shares he doesn't already own for $0.23 per share. As I said earlier, the offer price was more than 36% above where TTJ was trading at the time. It was also more than 29% above TTJ's volume-weighted average price over the preceding 12 months. In fact, the offer price was also more than 12% higher than TTJ's highest traded price over the last two years. So, what's the problem? Well, like so many companies in the local market, TTJ has been trading at a steep discount to its net asset value. And although the offer price was well above its market price, it was still below the value of the assets on its books. Just to quantify that, as at the 31st of January this year, TTJ had an NAV of 36.8 cents per share. That's 60% more than the offer price. Now, TTJ's NAV is particularly relevant because the company has a pristine balance sheet. As at the 31st of January, it had $29.2 million in cash and cash equivalents on its books and no bank borrowings. That's equivalent to 8.3 cents per share. On top of that, TTJ said on the 29th of March that it had completed the sale of certain property, plant and equipment in Malaysia for a further 41.7 million ringgit, or approximately 13.4 million Singapore dollars. Now, with all that cash on its books, and because Teo already owns most of TTJ's shares, he won't really need to stretch himself financially to take the whole company private. Teo currently owns 84.4% of TTJ's 349.5 million shares. So at the offer price of 23 cents per share, he would only need to fork out about $12.6 million to purchase the 54.6 million TTJ shares he doesn't already own. That's $12.6 million, which is less than half the amount of cash the company held as at the 31st of January. Now, some investors are understandably upset that Teo is not offering to pay more for their shares. But he's only doing what any sensible business person would do in the same position. The real problem here is that Theo is exploiting a loophole, which I must emphasize has been used by many other major shareholders that will enable him to reach the compulsory acquisition threshold more easily. Compulsory acquisition refers to the legal right that major shareholders have to force the last few remaining minority investors to accept their offer once they cross a certain ownership threshold. Under Section 215 of the Companies Act, an offerer can exercise the right of compulsory acquisition once it obtains 90% of a target company's shares that it and its related companies did not already own. The problem is the wording of the law has enabled individuals who are controlling shareholders of listed companies to have shares they own count towards the 90% acceptance threshold by setting up a special purpose vehicle to make the offer. In the case of TTJ, Tio is using a privately held shell company called THC Venture to make the offer. As I said earlier, Tio holds a direct and deemed interest of 84.4% in TTJ, and he has provided an undertaking to accept the offer from THC Venture. This means THC Venture will only have to obtain a further 5.6% of TTJ shares before reaching the 90% threshold that will enable it to compulsorily acquire the rest of TTJ shares. In effect, Tio, through THC Venture, would only need to obtain 35.9% rather than 90% of TTJ shares held by minority shareholders before being able to force all other minority shareholders to give in. To put it another way, if Teo were not allowed to have his current holding of TTJ shares count towards the 90% acceptance threshold, he would have to acquire a further 40.04% of TTJ shares before being able to exercise the right of compulsory acquisition. That would mean having to raise his effective stake from the current 84.4% to 98.44%. Now, I must emphasize again that what Theo is doing, setting up a shell company that he controls to make an offer for the listed company and then accepting the offer himself in order to reach the compulsory acquisition threshold more easily, is not new. This loophole has been used by several other major shareholders in recent years to take their public-listed companies private. And there have been lots of complaints that the loophole negates an important protection for minority shareholders. In fact, the mark-to-market column raised this point last year in the wake of a number of low ball voluntary cash offers. So how can investors protect themselves in the face of such opportunistic offers? And still to come, why haven't market regulators closed this loophole? I'm going to talk about that next.
0: Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode.
1: The position of Singapore's market regulators on the compulsory acquisition loophole, as I understand it, is that the company's act needs to be amended in order to put an end to the market practice. When I was looking into this matter last year, it was pointed out to me by the Accounting and Corporate Regulatory Authority that necessary amendments are in the works. Back in 2018, ACRA set up what is called the Companies Act Working Group to review several areas of the Companies Act, and this Working Group has made some recommendations that would address the loophole. The big question is whether the recommendations will ultimately be accepted by the government and put before Parliament. According to a 2019 report from the Companies Act Working Group, the Ministry of Finance did not accept a recommendation back in 2011 that shares held by so-called associates of an offerer be excluded from the calculation of the 90% acceptance threshold. The MOF said at the time that the existing provisions had not given rise to any particular concerns Moreover, the change should make it more difficult for an offerer to obtain full ownership of a target company, especially if the offerer already has a large stake in the company when the offer is made. This was a long time ago, of course, and with the protracted underperformance of the local market over the past decade, and the string of lowball offers we've seen in recent years, I would hope attitudes at the Ministry of Finance have changed on this matter, and that the government ultimately accepts that something must be done. Still, even if changes to the Companies Act are in the works, it seems strange to me that the authorities do not feel able, in the meantime, to challenge a market practice that is clearly not in keeping with the spirit of the law. As an investor, it makes no sense to me that major shareholders can have the shares they own count towards the 90% acceptance threshold if they make an offer via a special purpose vehicle, but not if they make the offer directly. So, where does this leave investors? Well, if investors are unhappy with the price they're offered, all they can do is refuse the offer and wait to see if the offer succeeds in breaching the compulsory acquisition threshold. Once the threshold is breached, they really have no choice in the matter. But by holding out, they might succeed in getting the offerer to raise the offer price. This is what happened in the case of Dutec Holdings, a company that makes safes and cash handling systems. Last year, Dutek's controlling shareholder made an offer for the company in the same manner as TTJ's controlling shareholder, using a special-purpose vehicle to exploit the compulsory acquisition loophole. But the offer price of $0.40 cents per share wasn't high enough to get enough minority investors on board. Much like TTJ, the offer price was below book value, and Dutec's balance sheet was also loaded with cash. So the offer ended up having to raise the offer price to $0.43.5. Cents. By the close of that final offer, The offer had secured 90.57% of Dutec shares, which was just enough to exercise the right of compulsory acquisition for the company's remaining shares. The same thing could happen with TTJ. The offerer hasn't said that the offer of 23 cents per share is its final offer. So there is a chance that the offer price will be raised if minority shareholders do not immediately accept what's on the table. Investors should, of course, keep in mind that there is a risk to holding out and not accepting these sorts of voluntary cash offers. When these offers lapse, there is a very high chance of the market price of these company shares tumbling sharply, at least in the short term. So investors who hold out need to be quite sure that they are comfortable holding on to the stock for the long term. If they are not, and they are not confident of the offer becoming unconditional and leading to a compulsory acquisition situation, they should consider selling in the market during the offer period. In general, my own inclination in these situations is to hold out and wait for the offer to take my shares from me in a compulsory acquisition. The reason is simply because major shareholders of the company would not be making the offer if the stock were not deeply undervalued. I'll give you a couple of examples. Back in 2019, the controlling shareholder of IndoFood Agri Resources tried and failed to take the company private because the offer price, even after it was raised, was just way below the company's book value, even though it was well above its market price. Since then, the stock hasn't really performed well, but it is currently trading at about the same level as that final offer price. And that's because its profitability has improved dramatically. In 2019, IndoAgri reported a loss attributable to shareholders of about 411 billion rupiah. But it was back in the black in 2020, to the tune of nearly 20 billion rupiah. And for 2021, with the strong rise in selling prices of palm oil-related products, the company reported earnings attributable to shareholders of nearly 755 billion rupiah. So, the major shareholder of the company had made its offer just as earnings were about to go into a major upswing. In another case, also in 2019, the controlling shareholder of Challenger Technologies teamed up with a private equity firm to take the company private. The rationale for the deal was that the electronics retailing sector was saturated and facing disruption from the rise of e-commerce, and the company needed to reposition its business, which could affect its ability to pay dividends. But minority investors resisted the offer, and Challenger ended up remaining listed. Since then, the company seems to have gone ahead with its repositioning efforts anyway. Last year, Challenger said the same private equity firm that participated in the offer would inject $32.8 million into the company by subscribing for new shares priced at 58 cents each. That was a premium to Challenger's market price, but also slightly more than the offer price back in 2019. In effect, the controlling shareholders of Challenger and their private equity partner are going ahead with their plans to reposition the company and they're doing it in a manner that enables minority investors to ride along with them. My point is that if the major shareholder of a company wants to take it private, it is generally a sign that things are looking up or that there is a plan to grow the value of the company. So minority investors should think twice about letting go of their shares too easily. Having said that, Minority shareholders of TTJ are probably feeling that they have a difficult decision to make. At the point when the offer was announced, they had suffered a five-year total return of minus 50% and a three-year total return of minus 33%. So being offered a premium of more than 36% to market price is going to seem quite tempting. Under the circumstances, it is really very important that TTJ's independent directors take proactive steps to ensure that the company's minority shareholders have the information they need to act in their own best interests. In particular, the independent directors ought to recognise that the interests of the company's major shareholder are no longer aligned with those of minority investors, and they should closely scrutinise statements made by the offeror and ensure they are accurate and provided in the appropriate context. For instance, one stated rationale for the offer is that minority shareholders will have the opportunity to cash out at a premium-to-market price at a time when the construction sector is beset by rising costs and labour shortages. Among other things, the offer announcements specifically said that output of the construction sector is expected to remain below pre-pandemic levels throughout 2022. This seems to reflect less optimism than TTJ's major shareholder Teohok Chui expressed in a press release on March 11th, when he announced that the company had obtained several new contracts and that its order book had reached $187 million. Here's what he said then. While constraints on foreign labour and headwinds such as global inflationary pressures and rising material costs weigh down the outlook for the immediate term, we believe the construction sector will continue to normalise as Singapore gradually opens its economy and its borders. So he was acknowledging the headwinds, but also expressing confidence that things were getting better. The offer announcement also said taking TTJ private would provide its management with more flexibility to implement strategic initiatives and operational changes that might achieve greater efficiency and competitiveness. But there were no specific examples of these possible initiatives or any explanation of why they could not be implemented if TTJ remained a public listed company. And I'm reminded of what happened at Challenger here. Have there been discussions among TTJ's board members about strategic initiatives to reposition a company and unlock value for investors? Or is this stated rationale just corporate finance boilerplate? The independent directors of TTJ ought to ensure that all information provided in relation to the offer is relevant for minority investors taking a long term and value oriented approach to their ownership of the stock. That's it for this episode of Mark to Market. You can follow my Mark to Market podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.
0: That was a podcast by the Business Times. Send your feedback to podcastsph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Do note, all analyses, opinions, recommendations and other information in this podcast are for your general information only you should not rely on them in making any decision. Please consult a fully qualified financial advisor or professional expert for independent advice and verification. To the fullest extent permitted by law, SPH Media shall not be liable for any loss arising from the use of or reliance on any analyses, opinions, recommendations and other information in this podcast. SPH Media accepts no responsibility or liability whatsoever that may result or arise from the products, services or information of any third parties.